This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here and welcome to this week's On The Beat. Second half of the show today, I'm going to be joined by Michael Broughton of this or that SEC podcast is called. We're going to talk about the national picture. We're going to talk about some very controversial questions about the SEC and national football scene, get into future coaches and all sorts of fun. But right now, I want to talk about the win over Kentucky. I can't get enough of it. 51 to 13. This was a big win for Georgia over Kentucky. I think I said last week I felt confident uh, Georgia was going to get this win and in dominant fashion. Kentucky, just not a good matchup, right? You just got you got to have a great quarterback to beat Georgia. You think about the last four quarterbacks to beat Georgia, and they're all in NFL rosters. Kyle Trask, Mac Jones, uh, Bryce Young, and Joe Burrow, okay? And, and Devin Leary was not that guy. And you saw that. He had open guys. He couldn't hit them. Kentucky could not answer the bell early on. And Mark Stoops actually said there was no reason – that he shouldn't have been able to complete some of those passes. Something else that I noted, you know, we often hear Kirby talk about how the Georgia Bulldogs talk with their helmets, and and what does that mean? Well, uh, I noted when Brock Vandergriff threw a touchdown pass on fourth down in the end zone, it put Georgia over the 50-point mark. And Kirby's not one for aesthetics, and he's typically not one to run the score up. But if you'll remember, there were some Kentucky players that threw some pretty big cheap shots Early in the game, Cedric Van Fran uh, was decked uh, unsuspectingly away from the ball. Uh, there was another Kentucky player that jumped on the back of a Georgia player many yards away from the play. Uh, there was some chippy and unsportsmanlike things going on. And as Kirby said, the dogs talked with their helmets, and they took care of that on the scoreboard uh, by lighting Kentucky up for 51 points. Uh, easily the most impressive effort of the year for Georgia. Not sure how that would have played out against another top-10 team. Um, but it played out well at Sanford Stadium on Saturday night, and it was what Georgia needed at this time. The Dogs, of course, travel to play Vanderbilt in a noon kickoff Saturday, and then they have a bye week, and then they play Florida in Jacksonville, and then they get into what looks like the meat of the schedule. You saw Missouri uh, was leading LSU for quite some time in that game before LSU came back and was able to win that game in Columbia, Missouri. We've seen Old Miss uh, they beat LSU earlier this year. Their only loss at Alabama. That is a dangerous team with Jackson Dart. And then, of course, the game at Tennessee uh, will be there for our Dog Nation invasion. That's going to be quite a trip. I know many of you have already uh, purchased your riverboat tickets. There's going to be a large faction of Georgia fans in Neyland Stadium. So the way things are setting up, you know, Kirby Smart and Georgia have to be happy with where they're at at this point in the season. But this is only the first half. This is only the first six games. This is a schedule that's backloaded. And what needs to happen for Georgia moving forward? Well, you already saw how Carson Beck can sling it. But still, he did have a pick in the second half that was a careless throw. That was not good. And Kirby Smart said today they monitored this closely. There's still a couple of plays a game where they want Carson to be careful with the football and make better decisions. I think you'll see that. I think his growth is impressive. He's one of the top five passers in the country. I'm not surprised by this, and you shouldn't be either. There's a reason why Todd Munkin had Carson Beck ahead of Stetson Bennett on the depth chart uh, for quite some time earlier in his career. This is a very talented player with NFL arm talent. It's always been about 
How does Carson handle adversity, and what does he do under pressure? And we've seen that. He came from 10 points down uh, against uh, Auburn in a very impressive road win uh, last week. You saw him come from 10 points down in a home win against South Carolina, and then you saw him light up Kentucky with a very aggressive game plan that turned him loose early. So you've seen Carson. As much as it's on Carson, it's about the parts around him, though, right? You saw this last game, Dajon Edwards had six catches. Previously, he'd never had more than two catches in the game. Georgia had been missing that element of throwing the ball to the backside of the backfield. Dajon showed you he could do that. The other thing that was very important, we saw a healthy Kendall Milton. That's as good as Kendall's looked since the SEC championship game. He looked dynamic. This is important. Like Kirby said, Mike Bobo was talking, said, hey, dogs need somebody that can get three or four yards of pop. We know Dejan's pretty good. We know Kendall Milton has a very high ceiling, and now he's healthy. The other thing you saw that was very important, Ra Ra Thomas, that was his first touchdown catch as a Georgia Bulldog. It was also the first time he went over 60 yards. Kirby said that Ra Ra Thomas is the most important person to emerge. And the reason why is because he plays that X position, that feature receiving position, where Donnie Mitchell and George Pickens had lined up before. You've got to have a guy that can win a one-on-one battle over there, and that's what takes that safety out of the middle of center field and makes him shade two-on-one. And then you're playing 10-on-nine the rest of the field. So very important for uh, Ra-Ra Thomas to emerge. You saw Marcus Roseman, Jack Saint. Uh, he had a long touchdown catch and run. To get production out of the X position, to get some sort of versatility out of the offensive backfield. So what's left? Those offensive tackle positions have to be shorn up. I do think Ernest Green has made strides. Uh, Each week he's gotten better and better and better at left tackle. Uh, At the right tackle position, I think Xavier Trust is doing fine. It will be better when Amarius Mims gets back. Georgia will have their offensive line back. Defensively, Kirby said, as lopsided as those statistics were, the defense wasn't as good as the numbers suggest, and you saw it. You saw some receivers running open. You saw Kentucky have uh, uh, some degree of success running the football. Not as dominant as Kirby wants it to be. Of course, the last two years, defense has set the standard. Um, You're not going to suddenly have a Jalen Carter come out of the tunnel. But the middle of the defensive line is getting better. It's getting stronger. And I saw a much better play on the edge. I think the linebacker play is outstanding. Kirby divulged that JDJ had been playing injured a little bit. So I still thought JDJ had a very good game. But he'll tell you he can get better. Jamon Dumas Johnson told us there's better days ahead for the defense even after that game. And this secondary is just lights out right now. So you're seeing Georgia make some good progress. They're getting better and better. Peyton Woodring made all three of his field goals, including a career long. Uh, and, and poor Brett Thorson, the, the Australian punter, just doesn't get many chances. Return game, uh, Muse had a punt return called back on kind of a – questionable block in the back call uh, but on another one he let it roll it got inside the 10 Kirby not happy so Kirby is maintaining this incredibly high standard and the reason why is because he wants that third national title right now this winning streak is at 23 games Georgia has passed 2008 and 2009 Florida the the Swamp Kings right so to me this means officially now there will have to be a documentary about these Georgia Bulldogs if they won more games in a row in the playoff era which I think this is the most competitive era in college football history with unified title and extended seasons because of playoffs. I think it's a heck of a lot harder to go 15 and 0 than maybe some of these teams of the leather helmet era that would win eight or nine to win national titles. So what you're seeing before your eyes, uh, these are the good old days at Georgia. You're seeing Kirby smart 
take this program places that's never been. And my goodness, is that not a mouthful when you consider what Vince Dooley and Herschel Walker's teams did her here in the early 1980s. In fact, I think if Georgia wins their next two home games, they'll match the longest home winning streak. Maybe it's the next home game where they will match the longest home winning streak in Georgia history that was set by those Vince Dooley Bulldogs that featured Herschel Walker already a school record number of consecutive wins at 23 games and already the back-to-back national titles. So these are all things most of you already know, but don't forget you want to fill in these, uh, check these boxes, fill in these blanks, understand and appreciate what is happening before your eyes. Tim Tebow told us if there was one thing that he would do different when he was at Florida during their 22 game win streak to help his team, it would be to enjoy the wins more. It would be to not compare so much from one year to the next, but enjoy each win because of how hard it is. That's good advice for the fan base. It's easy to say after that win over Kentucky, certainly because that was easily the most impressive win of the year. I thought Georgia really throttled down, and you got to give kudos to Kirby. He, he pulled out every motivational trick. He challenged their manhood. Uh, he used uh, the science of uh, mass times velocity equaling force. He showed uh, videos of a wrecking ball going through. There wasn't much he did not do to push the buttons and get those Georgia Bulldogs ready. And then, of course, the crowd at Stanford Stadium showed up in force. And uh, and they were also a factor. They caused Kentucky some trouble early on. So uh, I want to set that up. We're going to get into the second half of the show. Just a second. I want to thank our sponsor, Ingles. I want you to check out this ad from Ingles. Without them, we couldn't do the show every Monday night. And after this message from Ingles, we'll bring on Michael Bratton, and you're going to get a lot of SEC football opinions. Stay with us, and please take note of this message from our sponsor, Ingles. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Welcome back to the program. Now joined by Michael Breton of That SEC Podcast. I said, did I say that right, Mike? Yes, sir. That SEC Podcast, highest rated podcast on Apple and Spotify. Love it. Do a great job on that. Have a lot of fun and give out a lot of information. And uh, certainly appreciate uh, your friendship and all the work you do. Always good seeing you at all the SEC media events. So, Michael, I guess I'll just start out the top with your, your view from 10,000 feet. We're not quite at the halfway point of the SEC season, but I think we've seen enough of it now to have a fill. Give me your top three storylines for Southeastern Conference football this season. Well, start. I mean, the biggest one, Mike, and, um, you know, this is not groundbreaking news or anything, but um, it appears to me that the league is down overall. And, I've been among the most vocal saying Georgia is down as well. Of course, they kind of smashed that narrative over the weekend. So, <laughs> I mean, I, it really does seem to be Georgia and everybody else. And that, that includes Alabama. I don't, I don't get, you know, I've, I've been very vocal too. I don't think Alabama's winning the West. They, they probably will now that they beat A&M, but they don't look that good to me. I mean, they're scraping by to, to beat, uh, you know, a God awful coach, Jimbo Fisher, uh, they're they're just inept on offense outside of a couple deep shots, but it you know from two to twelve, 
I don't see much of a difference between any of these teams. And when maybe Mississippi State and Vanderbilt are the exception there, they're on the low end, whereas everybody else, it's, there's a glut in the middle. And I, I think that is the biggest storyline. And if, uh, you know, heaven forbid, Georgia loses a game or, or loses an SEC championship, I think that's why we got Kirby out here saying, hey, we should the entire SEC should be ranked. They could all beat us. We, we know that's not true, but – He's he's already getting in front of it, Mike, and he and he's saying this is a you know a, a gargantuan task going through this SEC. I I don't think it is this year. So, uh, I mean, I think Georgia's the only hope now for the SEC to get a playoff team in. That that's got to be my number one storyline. Uh, number two is <laughs> who nobody wants to step up and win the West is what it looks like to me. I mean, my goodness, A and M had it there for the taking. I think LSU's had it for the taking. They, for some reason, are just a complete no-show on on defense with probably a, two or three first-round picks on the defensive side of the ball, yet they're they're just awful on that side of the ball. So who's stepping up there out of the West? And then, you know, it's kind of the East. I, I think back to the East, it's, uh, you know, these teams like Missouri and, and Kentucky – making an appearance there and, and maybe they're the best team or second best team obviously to georgia because i i still don't think that's tennessee maybe they can prove me wrong here on saturday but then after that they got they got alabama so i think tennessee very well could be staring down the barrel of two consecutive losses before they even get to uh, road trips to kentucky and missouri so who's that number two threat in the and it's really not a threat to georgia but who's that second team i i think it's going to be kentucky or missouri yeah, it's interesting. You know, Michael, you talk about the SEC being down and, you know, those early games really hurt. You know, Texas beating Alabama and Tuscaloosa, Florida State beating LSU, A&M losing at Miami. Um, you know, those are difficult out-of-conference losses that really shape the opinion uh, of the SEC. And you don't usually see that. And there was no Georgia out there to carry the flag like there had been the last two years when they – you know, put a pretty good beating on Oregon and the year before beat Clemson in, in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, which is like a second home stadium for the Tigers. So, you know, those early wins by Georgia really did well for the league. And, you know, to your point about Kirby getting out in front of it, I think you're right. Um, you know, we've kind of gotten used to for a little bit seeing two SEC teams make the playoff. But, you know, you're right. It's fair to ask if Georgia loses one game, um, if the SEC – and it's in the SEC championship game – to a two-loss West team, is it out of the realm of possibility that the SEC gets shut out of the playoff? I I, I think I, – I tend to believe that the SEC will get in, but I think it's very shaky whether or not a one-loss Georgia would get in if they lost to a two-loss team from the West. I don't, I don't think it's a given this year um, at this time. Now, we'll see if Georgia continues to beat the breaks off teams like they did Kentucky uh, the other night. Um, you know, that was an impressive win in Sanford Stadium. And in hindsight, maybe we made too much of Kentucky because they beat Florida. But Florida beat Tennessee, right? So we, we, we're playing all these transitive properties. And I guess I think that plays into what you said about, you know, teams 2 through 12 not being that much different. I, I think I give Alabama a little bit more credit than you do. Maybe I go 3 through 9. But your point is well taken. Um, this has been a very – topsy-turvy, week-to-week here as the league looks to reload from losing three quarterbacks in the first round and two top five uh, Heisman finalists. So let me ask you this. Right now, if I was going to ask you 
uh, for your first team quarterback in the SEC. You only get to pick one. Which quarterback are you picking as the best quarterback in the SEC so far this season? I think I'd have to go Jaden Daniels, and that's kind of remarkable considering his team has lost multiple games. But I don't think that's what you're asking me. You're, you're asking me, you know, who's been the most outstanding quarterback, and and it's not his fault that he's scoring. Uh, I believe they're averaging forty three point eight points per game. You, I mean, that's that's essentially what Tennessee did last year. If, if you're scoring forty three points per game you sh- you should be winning your games but unfortunately for for him again their defense has just got awful and, and I don't know you know I, it's not like I thought they would be the new Georgia or anything like that but I thought they would be able to hold teams under 20 but uh I mean it's the other day Mike when they were playing Missouri and they got a interception in like the second quarter that seemed to give them so much momentum because they sat here and said, my God, we can stop somebody. <laughs> I mean, I don't think they had seen it all season long. So you get one stop, and in a weird way, when your defense is that terrible, it gives you so much juice because you know you just stole a possession and, and you kept Missouri from scoring a touchdown. They they don't give up field goal drives. They give up touchdown drives in Baton Rouge. And, and obviously the, the second pick six, that completely broke Missouri there at the end of the game. That's why it was a, a two-score game. But – uh, yeah, I think it's Jane Dales, and he's playing hurt. He's playing just phenomenal football. And I know he's got two great receivers. They've got the running game going now. That's why I think LSU can still win the West. I'm, I'm not picking them because the defense is so bad, but they they have a puncher's chance to to run the table and meet Georgia once again in the SEC championship. I I really do believe that. Yep, if they can go to Tuscaloosa and take down the Crimson Tide, they've only got one SEC loss, uh, and that was at Old Miss. So we will see. A halfway point, uh, we're going to call it the halfway point. It's close. We've got six games in the books. That's half of the regular season. Three of them are in the SEC. Who's your SEC coach of the year at this halfway point of the season? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I – I would almost I love give it, putting you on the spot like this. I love putting you on the spot like this because there's not enough time to really think. Right. I, I, I would give it to drink, and, and I'll tell you why. I mean, not that I think Missouri is some world beater, but uh, this is a coach that uh, I think anybody asked. He was, even though he got an extension, we know those are not always worth the paper they're printed on, but he was sitting on a hot seat here. The fans were literally booing his choice to run Brady Cook out there against Kansas State, and that was, what, three weeks ago. And you want to talk about a quarterback that has completely won over that fan base in a span of three weeks, look no further than Brady Cook. So I think the job Drink has done at Missouri is impressive. But again, I hesitate to even give that answer because they're playing at Kentucky this week. Uh, they still got Tennessee. They've, they've, they've got South Carolina. I mean, they've got many losable games. So that, that may look like a foolish answer here in, in a, as soon as a month. But I don't know that there's, there's an obvious choice right now for SEC coach of the I was ready to give it to Jimbo till Saturday now now I think he's back on the hot seat too or at least he should be you know I think it's interesting and and, and I think that's one of the candidates I thought I thought about Lane Kiffin and I I thought about Hugh Freeze for I don't know for a quality loss against George I guess but isn't it interesting Michael how we just gloss right over Kirby Smart and how they've won now 23 straight games which surpasses the Florida streak uh, that Urban Meyer and Tim Tebow put together and to do it despite all of the attrition. So we know about the 34 Georgia players that have been picked in the last three drafts. There was nine 
then there was 15, then there was 10 uh, last year. And you say, well, every team, you know, every great team loses players. But I think what makes me say Kirby is the addition of the portal in the NIL. So here's a stat for you. There's 16 former Georgia players on the two deep of other FBS rosters, and there's 11 that are starting for other teams. And when we looked at last weekend, I saw Jermaine Burton with 197 yards for Alabama. I I saw Major Burns with that pick six for LSU that you referenced. Uh, Of course, uh, uh, Adani Mitchell uh, is now doing great things at Texas. I saw Barry Alexander with four tackles uh, for USC. You know, there was an era when uh, there weren't that many transfers. And so for Georgia to continue to win, and I don't know that this argument would have been this strong uh, before the big win over Kentucky, but for them to continue to win and remain elite uh, with all the attrition, not, not just from the NFL perspective, but the transfer portal, I, I just don't think any other coach has had that challenge before. And the fact that Kirby has won this, these 23 straight games uh, 23 straight at home. Um, it's pretty remarkable in this day and age of, of parity, as you say. I don't know that Georgia's really that much above everybody else in the SEC went from a roster perspective. I feel like Alabama's got a lot of talent. A lot's been made at A&M. But the way that they're coached makes them look like that. They're, and, and we'll see. Like you said, you know, uh, I don't think Vanderbilt is a threat for Georgia. Uh, then they have a bye week. And they play Florida and Jacksonville, which I don't really put on the upside radar. They do play Missouri at home. That's big. Then they play Old Miss at home. And then they play at Tennessee. Uh, before I get too far, though, into Georgia, I want to ask you about Vanderbilt. And I think Vanderbilt's seating capacity right now is, I don't know, twenty-eight or 30000 um, Michael, this is the school that gets the same share of money as every other team in the league. Is this a problem? Does, does someone need to step in and tell Vanderbilt to get it together? Or or is it a little bit different because it's a private school in Nashville? Where do you stand on on where Vanderbilt's at in terms of holding up their end of the bargain in the league? Well, I think the vast majority of the coaches, Mike, in the SEC are fine because they, they appreciate that extra <laughs> buy, that extra home game. But, uh, yeah, I know you, you've been beating this drum for a while. It's disgraceful that they get all these, uh, uh, the financial earnings, same as Georgia, same as Alabama, given their lack of commitment, not only to the, I mean, I think most people look at it and they just say, well, they're just, they're not committed to, uh, you know, the stadium and, and getting a competent coach in there. And that's not to call out Clark Lee because, you know, I think he's done an admirable, admirable job. Not, you know, the team seems to have taken a little bit of a step back, but they are not, at all focused on NIL in terms of attracting talent. Their NIL is primarily on keeping their players in there. But, um, you know, from people I talk to that cover that program on a daily basis, Mike, they're not they're not even committed to the student-athletes. And I think that's the biggest offense of all of Vanderbilt with all this money they're getting. I mean, there you hear stories, Mike, where for an entire summer, and we all know what summer's like in the South with the heat and humidity, Entire summer, they don't even have air conditioning in the building, uh, where they they don't even have a a loading zone for equipment drop off, and it's just sitting in the hallway. and And I'm talking not just equipment, but food and and things of that nature. I mean, it's it's comically poor how they run that thing, 
And yeah, I, I do think someone needs to step up and demand at least some level of commitment. And, and to their credit, you know, they're doing it with uh, the, these new facilities that are not going to be done for about two or three years, as I understand it. So this is going to be looking like this for a while. This is not a, a quick turnaround by any means, but it it is a problem because you see the likes of Northwestern and Duke and, you know, the, these schools have shown that you can put forth a commitment. I, I think Northwestern may have, you know, one of the nicest facilities in the, in the country and, and they're not winning the big 10 anytime soon. It's, it's not about them trying to win every big 10 title or, or Vanderbilt trying to win SEC titles, but at least put the investment in, put in what some of these other programs are, are getting and let's have Vanderbilt. Let's not have them being the joke of the conference, an, an extra buy because that's what they are. And it's an extra home game for Kirby and company come Saturday. You know, as well as I, there's going to be far more red than there is uh, black or gold on that stadium come Saturday. Yeah, there will. And, you know, one of the local radio stations here said that Vanderbilt's gouging the student tickets of uh, over $170 for, I mean, obviously tickets will be at a premium for, for folks that do want to travel. It's just, it's just disappointing to me um, because when I think about the SEC and, you know, you, the, you know the, it just means more slogan. And, and I think for the most part it does, but that, you know, Vanderbilt's kind of become that house in the neighborhood that doesn't, you know, cut their grass. And it's just kind of embarrassing and unnecessary um, and, and again, I just, I don't know, maybe there has been some level of accountability behind the scenes, but there has not been any public, um, comments made. And, um, and I don't know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Greg Sankey would say that's out of bounds or that's not something that would be publicly said, but, um, it is disappointing because it wasn't that long ago. And I reminded Kirby smart of this at his press conference. I mean, Vanderbilt beat Kirby smart in Georgia here in Athens in 2016 in a noon game. And, and Vanderbilt does have some some you know impressive wins. There was a time when there was a ten year span when uh, they were five hundred with Tennessee over a ten year span. Believe it or not, um, I want to talk a little bit more about Tennessee. I know that's the state that that uh, you reside in, and, and these Tennessee Vols under Josh Heupel. Uh, a moment ago, you were talking about the East, and at the beginning of the year, we all kind of gravitated towards that Georgia at Tennessee game. Is it too early to say? that that's a Georgia walk. I mean, just how much of a threat can Tennessee be? What do you need to see from the Vols to believe that they could potentially be the team to end Georgia's streak in Neyland Stadium? Well, we need to be a lot more efficient on the offensive side of the ball before we can see a team like Tennessee be a true threat to Georgia because what Tennessee has turned into, for those that have, have not really watched, they're essentially a running team now. And... Heck, I, I heard Kentucky was a running team, Mike, until they went up against their dogs. Then they then they had nothing. You know what I mean? So, uh, and and that's why I fear for Tennessee's chances this upcoming week against that Texas A&M defensive front. Um, similar thing, and I realize A&M and, and Georgia are two different entities there, but I don't know. I, I mean, Joe Milton, it just looks, every time he throws it, it looks labored. I mean, we know, you know, it's been said at nauseum and, even I'm tired of hearing it as an alum of the school that he could throw it 90 yards. That's fantastic. He can't seem to, to hit a slant. You know, he can't seem to uh, make that 20 yard pass when it's there that Hendon Hooker made time and time again. He can hit the home run balls, but even those, they've, they've been dropping them. So the passing attack is not there. Tennessee's the number one rushing offense in the SEC. I believe they're top five in the country, but I just don't think you can attack Georgia that way. Now, one thing I think that's being lost at all this shuffle is 
Tennessee has made great strides on the defensive side of the ball. Now, I, I know it didn't look like it against Florida. It, it, that was their true test. But prior to that, they looked great. And, and that's where they have really fo been focusing a ton of effort on, on the recruiting trail. It started to pay off. And then that uh, debacle at Florida. But then that South Carolina game, that the season was on the line. And Spencer Rattler, Georgia fans know all too well. Uh, I mean, he... He was my answer to, to the SEC's best quarterback. But Tennessee solved him. I mean, he had a horrific performance against Tennessee. And, and, and it wasn't necessarily all on him. It was because he was running for his life. He's down tar weapons. They have no running game. So, I mean, it's, it's, basically, it's, it's, it's essentially the Spencer Rattler show and nothing else. And Tennessee, uh, you know, corralled him. And, and that's why they won in such dominant fashion. And the offense still had issues. They were able to run on South Carolina. But again, I just don't think that's going to happen against Georgia. I don't think it's going to happen against A&M. And I don't think it's going to happen in Tuscaloosa either. So what happens when you take that away from Tennessee? You force Joe Milton to beat you. And nothing we have seen indicates that he can do that. Now, he's been banged up too. So coming off a of bye week, maybe he's a little bit more healthy. They need to get him more involved in the ground game. When they did that against, uh, I think it was UTSA, right out the gate, he actually had the longest run, Mike, in, in a, a Tennessee quarterback has had in the history of the program. It was an 81-yard run, I believe. If they add that wrinkle, I, th I think that does something for you, but it's it's all about the the downfield passing, which has not been there, and the fact that Brew McCoy, one of their probably their most physically imposing receiver, lost for the season due to injury, that's certainly not going to help matters. You know, one of the reasons that I had you on today, uh, Mike, is that you're not afraid to put your opinions out there. Uh, and, and that's it can be dangerous. Um, but, but you know what? I we're in the we're in the opinion business and, you know, we, we do our research and we do our homework and and we make educated guesses. And and sometimes, you know, we're not right. But that's all right. You know, it's better than saying, oh, shucks, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, come on. We all have opinions. We all have perspectives and reasons, and, and you and I are two guys that don't mind uh, putting those things out there. So with that in mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you some tough questions now. I don't want to call them hot seat questions because I don't need answers in three seconds, but um, I do like that you put your opinions out there. So my first question to you is, will Nick Saban win another national championship before he retires? No. Simple as that. Not, not Will he play for one? Oh, uh, not as long as Kirby's in Athens, Mike, because uh, oh, okay. I don't think he, I don't think so. No. Okay. Here's one for you. Now, Mark Stoops is the longer tenured coach uh, at a power five school to have never won his division. It's pretty well documented. He's 0 and 11 against Georgia. Will he ever beat Georgia before he leaves? He leaves Kentucky. <laughs> uh, same answer. Not as long as Kirby's there. I mean, Mark Stoops, he, he is what he is. He's done a fine job for the Kentucky Wildcats and give him credit. He's a, he's a C C plus coach. And that's not me saying it. This is what people that get paid to, to grade these coaches and help with the hirings say about him. He, he rarely ever beats a team that has more talent than him. And we're just basing off recruiting rankings. And when he does, like a Florida game, he turns around and drops a Vanderbilt game, which recruits below him. So what's that tell you? He's a C, C-plus coach. So, no. Will Shane Beamer ever be the head coach at Virginia Tech? Ooh, that's a good one. Um. I sure bet they would like that. <laughs> no, I need a yes or a no here. Is I want you to look into the crystal ball. Mm -hmm. Is that going to be in the future? Is he young? He's what, 47, 46 years old? 
or or do you think he's a Carolina guy? It's a, it's a, it's a these are tough questions. Is he yes or no? I would say no at Virginia Tech, but I I do not think he's a lifer at South Carolina. I I think some another program will will get him. All right, here's one for you. Will Josh Heupel ever be the head coach at Oklahoma? <laughs> I don't think so because uh, to my understanding, uh, I know that's a popular you know thing to to throw out there, but he has no relationship with Oklahoma. That's kind of a, a bridge that has burned. They even honored uh, the, the national championship team, I, or I think they're either they did it in the spring or, or they're going to do it, and he will not attend. And of course, he was the quarterback of that team. He he has no relationship with Oklahoma, so I I think that ship has sailed. Who's the next head coach at Alabama? Mm. <laughs> Believe it or not, Mike, I was I was hyping up Mario Cristobal till this weekend. <laughs> 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 so it won't be him. But uh, you know, I, I think a guy that Georgia knows well, Dan Lanning, I, I certainly think he's got to be at the top of that list. And I've even heard uh, Steve Sarkeesian floated out there, Mike. But I honestly think Sarkeesian's got a better job than Nick Saban. Well, not Nick Saban, then the job after Nick Saban. Because the expectation at Alabama will be sky high for the next guy. And uh, I, I would rather stay at Texas with all the resources. And, and I know they have expectations, but they don't have Alabama Nick Saban expectations uh, so that, give me Dan Lanning. I, I think he's a he's kind of the popular one right now that I like. Going with Dan Lanning. I was thinking D'Amico Ryan's Dabo Sweeney. How about the next head coach at Florida? I see that's where I had I had Lanning going to Florida. <laughs> Who do you got up up next at Florida? And will Billy Napier be the Florida head coach on opening day next season? I mean, it would not. I have not gotten caught up in all this uh, hype. And and hey, it's nice, Mike. I I don't. Uh, but I. I don't cover Colorado, so I don't sit here and talk about Dion. But I will say, Mike, that I think it would be perfect if Florida fires Billy after he loses, you know, four of the last five games that he's going to lose here in a couple of weeks, and give a call to Dion, if not just wow. to troll Florida State. Uh, apparently, Dion's out on Florida State as well. So I mean, I think that makes all the sense of the world, and I think that's that's the type of move that would shake up the SEC. Because I don't know what's wrong with the Florida Gators, Mike, but and, uh, we've had this conversation many times, but they need some flash. They need some style. They they need something. And I, I think a guy like Dion makes all the sense in the world for the Florida Gators. I, I think he would have them competing with the likes of, of Georgia and Alabama sooner than later. Boy, that would be absolutely head spinning. Now, Kirby Smart has not given any indications that he's going anywhere. He's still a young guy. I think he is 47. But there will come a time when Kirby moves on. This, Believe it or not, this is year eight for Kirby. And mm -hmm. Steve Spurrier was only at Florida 12 years. I, I, not to say I think Kirby's got a four-year window. But when that time comes, who's the next head coach to Georgia? Man, that's a, that's a you tough gotta look, one. You got to look deep. You got to look deep. In the, <laughs> they, they, he, they might still be a player. Who knows? Right. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So, I mean I – mean, because I think it'll be a while. I, I don't think Kirby's going anywhere, and he doesn't seem to me to be an NFL guy, and, and that may be the only challenge that's that's left on him. Maybe he'll want to do something that Nick Saban could never do, and that's win a, a Super Bowl in the NFL. But Kirby doesn't strike me as you know. He's I don't think he's going to do that just to just to be vindictive or anything or have something over Saban. So I don't see this happening anytime soon, Mike. But uh, man, that that is a great question. How about uh, how about Nick Chubb? 
Nick Chubb. There you go. Nick Chubb comes back to Georgia. He would certainly be a popular uh, choice. I, I was going to say internal hire Glenn Schumann, you know, that maybe Glenn's got a young family. He's had some job opportunities at different levels. Maybe he sticks around another six or eight years uh, and becomes the next head coach in waiting now. Uh, so we have talked a lot about the SEC and we've touched a little bit on the national picture. If you were going to pick the four college football playoff teams right now, who do you think the four teams are that are going to be in the college football playoffs this year? Well, that's a great question. Um, I, I'd have to put Georgia in there. I think that's the only legitimate answer out of the SEC. Uh, I would probably. How put, much of the game against Kentucky affect your judgment? Before you get into the other schools, how much, how big was that win over Kentucky for you in your mind with looking at evaluating Georgia? Massive. Massive, because I'm I'm was leading the charge on Georgia shouldn't be number one. I don't think they had earned that until Saturday, when again I still think Kentucky, you know they could win. You know I think they'll probably go nine and three. I I well I mean their quarterback's got to play a lot better, but I I still think they have it in them to be a a really good team, yeah. and Georgia just outclassed them in every manner on Saturday. So that was wildly impressive. I thought Kentucky would cover the spread easily. I mean, Georgia easily covered the spread. I mean, it it was – that game was over. I, I, I called it after uh, that first touchdown to St. Jack. I mean, I was like, well, thanks for showing up, Kentucky, because it it was clear as day. They When Georgia shows up, they, they'll do that to basically anybody. So, yes, Georgia's number one. They've earned that now. They've shown that. They're not sleepwalking anymore. They, they, and, and to your point, they got guys healthy and all that. So I, I give you that. Uh, how about uh, how about Oregon? A little bit of a wild card. I think Oregon, with, under Dan Lanning, can get there. I think I'd be it'd be great to get the the Pac-12 back in into action here. I know Texas just lost Mike, but and, and Sooner fans and and I've been ringing the bell for the Sooners too. I've been wildly impressed with the Sooners. I was stunned that nobody was picking Oklahoma in that game, but I I understood it because heck, I thought Texas would win too, but. I don't think that's going to be the one that matters, Mike. I think it's going to be the Big 12 championship. So I think Texas, a little bit of a revenge mode. I think Texas wins the Big 12. Put Texas in there. You know, the, the more Alabama does, the better that's going to do for Texas. And then um, last, but, you know, I, I have no respect for the Big 10. So give me Florida State. I, I think Florida State looks like a, a true contender there. Florida State, Georgia, Oregon, and Texas. Wow, leaving Michigan out. That would mean Michigan and Ohio State would each have to lose a game more than likely. Could happen. So Ohio State struggle with Maryland. We've seen Michigan choke before. And uh, you're right. We're going to find out about Dan Lanning and the Ducks. Uh, they're going to play Washington on Saturday. That is going to be quite the showdown. Florida State does look good. They went into Clemson and got a win there. I believe that was the first time in, I want to say, seven or eight years, Mike. So, hey, before I let you go, tell people where they can find your podcast because – uh, you come with these sort of opinions and insights every week. And again, it's it's refreshing. Uh, it's fun. You don't take yourself too seriously. Um, you just have a really good thing going with your podcast. How can people find it? Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, it, it's called That SEC Podcast. We're available on every podcast platform. Uh, YouTube, that's that's really blowing up. And uh, just search SEC Mike you know, on, on Google or Twitter or what have you, and I'll pop up. Uh, that's that's what I go by, SEC Mike Bratton. 
And uh, speaking of not taking myself too seriously, anybody that missed it. So I, I guaranteed A&M would beat Bama. And I said, if Bama wins, I'll dress up like a clown. So our latest show is an hour of me looking like a fool in clown makeup. It's all over the social media. It's all over the YouTube. But uh, they are certainly having a good time with uh, my clownish behavior, to, to say the least, Mike. Well, you weren't the only one. I saw, you know, the esteemed Chris Doring, I believe, also. You weren't the only one to get that wrong. I think you're being kind of hard on yourself there. But it is fun uh, to see you and, and uh, Cousin Shane uh, have fun on your, your, your co-host. You guys do a really nice job. I know I really enjoyed uh, visiting with you guys. And uh, I guess we were in Nashville this year at the SEC Media Days. And, again, enjoyed doing your show a couple of weeks ago. So uh, fully uh, absolutely endorse your product and your opinion. So great job, Mike. I really appreciate you joining me here today. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's uh, On the Beat. I want to thank my producer, Kaylee Manzel. I uh, appreciate our sponsor, Ingles, coming to you every week, every Monday night. Don't forget, each day at 10 a.m., we have Brandon, da- Brandon Adams and Dog Nation Daily. Wednesday, it's Jeff Centel before the hedges. Uh, Kaylee hosts a pr- program from Marlowe's on Thursday night, happy hour. Before the game, we're at Jittery Joe's on Saturdays with Kaylee. And Connor and Coverage is Sunday night. So everyone enjoy the programming. Uh, Check out what we've got at dognation.com and have a great week.